Many of you know my uh, my story of growing up in church, uh, but but just so we're all on the same page, I grew up in a in a Christian home, parents that loved Jesus, loved the Lord, and they taught that to us uh, at an early age. And so at six years old, at young, uh, I I, uh, I realized my need for a savior that that I uh, was separated from God because of my sin, and I hadn't done you know much living at all, much less sinning at all at, at that age. I knew that I was a sinner. And that I needed, I was in desperate need of a Savior. And so, uh, uh, by faith, because of God's love for me, because he sent his son to die for me, by faith, I, I believed in my need for a Savior, that Jesus was the Savior that I needed. And so, I, I asked him to come and be my Savior, to forgive me of my sins, and give me the gift of heaven uh, when, when I died one day. And, and I believed that at, at, a, at a young age, six years old. However... Um, after that moment, uh, my experience with church, and when I say that, uh, what, what I have in mind is, is my teenage years, so 6th grade through 12th grade. Um, my experience with church is that now my, my uh, standing with God, my right standing with God is dependent upon me. Yes, I needed a Savior, but I, I got that taken care of when I was 6. Now, um, if I want God to be happy with me, if I want God to be pleased with me, then I need uh, to roll up my sleeves and make it happen. And this was taught regularly in, in, in my in, in student ministry in, in the youth group where, where, I, where I grew up. I, I've told this story before, but sixth grade, seventh grade, right around there. Um, we had a four, six-week series on why, um, as believers, we needed, as Christian teenagers, we needed to listen to only Christian music. And so for week after week, we talked about uh, listen to Christian music, listen to Christian music. And the grand crescendo, the grand finale was we went out to some land. They had a huge bonfire, and everybody brought their CDs. You remember CDs, right? Not like an iPod anymore. That's not digital. You brought your, your big old um, uh, uh, thing of CDs. And, and I didn't have a ton at that point. But the, some of those, you know, 11th, 12th graders, they had, they had books of CDs that were like this. I mean, this thick. And they would just, like, like frisbees, throw them into the fire. Thousands and thousands of dollars in CDs thrown into the fire. And everybody walked away, kind of with their chest out a little bit, um, who participated because God loved them more for throwing thousands of dollars into the fire. And I participated. I didn't have a lot of CDs, but I remember throwing mine in there and feeling pretty good about myself. God must be pleased with me. And I lived on this, on, on this merry-go-round. I lived on this for seven years, 6th through 12th grade, until my 12th grade year, and I'll never forget it. We, we were a pretty, pretty large church that I went to, and uh, so we hosted um, a, a True Love Weights rally. And, and, and it's good and, and, and at the heart. Um, I, I appreciate the, the rally, um, and I appreciate the meaning behind it. I want that to be my kid's testimony. Um, but, but I will never forget the, 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 the speaker that we brought in kind of tipped his, his hat early in the, in the, in the talk. And he, his grand finale was going to be, I, I want you to commit to one year of dating, uh, one year of not dating. I want you to commit to one year uh, of not having a relationship, a dating relationship. And I'll never forget 4,000 students. It was a citywide thing. 4,000 students sitting behind me. I was on the, the front row as a 12th grader. And my heart got hard. And I thought, I'm not playing ball this time. I'm not doing it. I've been on this, this merry-go-round. I've been around this block for seven years. I'm done playing the game. I'm not doing it anymore. And so, 
Oh, that's funny. That, that was not a good call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I'm telling you that in just a few minutes. I'm not judging that. All right? Come back if you're a guest. I'm not judging you. Come on. But that was just too easy. I had to say something. Um, so I, I, I'm sitting there, 4,000 kids, 4,000 teenagers behind me. This guy tips his hat. I want you to commit to one year of not dating. And I was not playing ball. I was done. And there were about three uh, of my friends sitting there on the front row. We looked at each other and we said, we're done. We're not doing it. And so his grand finale, his grand crescendo is commit to a year of not dating. And if you'll do that, I want you to stand up. And on the front row, I stayed seated. I was done. My youth pastor, I embarrassed him, and we had that conversation. I get it now. But I was done playing that game, and I was almost, I was, a, I was a, an inch away from being done with the whole church thing. Because I'd been on this merry-go-round, and I'd gone, I'd thrown the CDs in, and I had, I'd committed to listening to only Christian music, and I was good at it for about two weeks. And, 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 and then I was going to commit to this. I was asked to commit to this dating thing. And I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not playing that game anymore. I'm done with it. And I just might be done with this whole thing called church. You know, obviously the story. Um, uh, by God's grace, because of his love for me, I, I found through relationships that the, the gospel is altogether different than that. The gospel the, the message of the Bible is altogether different than, than uh, ask Jesus into your heart and then everything else is dependent upon you. Roll your sleeves up and do jump through these hoops. Do the right things and then God will be pleased with you. The gospel is altogether different than that. The message of the, of the Bible, the message of the gospel is what we're going to look at this morning. And it's, it's the message of the entire Bible, but the text that we're going to look at is really condensed Six, uh, the message of the Bible is condensed into six short verses. That's what I want to look at this morning. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 17. I'm going to read down to verse 22 and then we'll work our way through it from the bottom back to the top. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said of those, to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. In these verses, you, the, the message of these verses is really the message of the entire Bible, and it's this. There is a standard that you and I are going to be measured by. The, our, our God in heaven, it, it has a standard that you and I are going to be measured by. The, the second point or the second part of this message is this. You and I will never, never measure up. And if that was the message of the Bible, that would be heartbreaking because that is bad news. 
There's a standard. You and I will never measure up to that standard. But Jesus says, I have come. I've measured up. And in me, you will measure up as well. There's a standard. You and I will not measure up. But if you're found in me, Jesus says, you will be granted the perfection that I have lived. Here's where I found that in this text. Start, start in, in verse 21. We're working our way back up to the top, uh, to the good news. But Jesus says, here is what you must do. Here's the standard that you're going to be judged by. Here's what you must do. Here's how you must live. Look at verse 21. You've heard it said to those of old that you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. To which I would go, thank you for starting with that one, Jesus. Because there is nobody that has ended, whose life has ended um, innocently by my hands. Like, if that's the one you want to use, that's the example you want to use, that's the, the he, he's using one of those, one of the, the Old Testament uh, commandments, he's just using it as an example here, and I'm glad he chose that one on the, on the surface, because no innocent life has ever ended at my, in my hands as a result of my actions. So I feel like I'm measuring up, and Jesus says, wait, wait, just a few minutes, I'm not done yet. Verse 22, but I say to you that Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus says, you've heard it said that if you take an innocent life, if you murder, um, then you are, are liable to, to uh, uh, judgment. But I say to you, if you have ever been angry with a brother or a sister, if you have ever called a brother or a sister a fool, then you have violated this commandment. In the, in the Bible, a fool is a very uh, specific category. It's a very specific category. It means somebody who has, has um, uh, so little self-awareness uh, that, that they don't realize the havoc that they are making around them. So their life, people around them are, are, are on edge. Life is just a mess. It's a it's a tornado around them, and it's a result of one specific person's actions, and they are so unself-aware, or they lack self-awareness to such a degree that they don't even realize they're the problem. They're the fault. They're, they're the ones that are at fault. That's the, the, the specific category um, that, uh, that is, is used when the Bible calls somebody a fool. Now, when I read that, I go, okay, um, Jesus, I, I understand where you're going with this whole anger thing, but... Um, if I've read the Bible right, you've been angry as well. And if I've also read the Bible right, uh, the Bible has actually called people fools. So how does that measure up? How does that align if you're the, the one who keeps the, the, uh, the law perfectly? We're going to talk about that in just a second. But if you're the one who keeps the law perfectly and you say we can't be mad at people or we can't call people fools and you have done that, how do you reconcile that, Jesus? Let me try to explain in, in, in the Bible, when Jesus confronts a person or is angry with a person, it is always for their good, the good of the person who is receiving Jesus' anger, uh, the perpetrator of the one who gets Jesus' anger. Let me, let me give you an example. If I see my kids playing out in the street when they're not supposed to be, and I walk out the front door, and I yell at my kids, I'm angry at my kids, it is for their good. I'm not just trying to make myself look good. I'm not just trying to, de to demean them. It is for their good. They have scared me. 
They, they, scared the, uh, they scared me to death. And so I, I walk out and I yell at my kids because they're playing in a place that they can get hurt. I'm mad at them for their own good. Every single time in the Bible, when Jesus is angry at a person, it is for their own good. It is, it is because uh, he loves the person that he's angry at. This is a special a Jesus kind of anger. When, when the Bible calls somebody a fool, it's for the same reason. It is because the, there is love for the person who does not realize the havoc that they are wrecking around their, uh, uh, in their circle of influence, around them. Jesus is saying in these verses, that's not the kind of anger that I'm talking about. The kind of anger that I'm talking about, it, I, I wrote down in my, in my notes. The kind of anger Jesus is talking about here is, um, have you, um, if you have ever been angry or wanted to harm, or wanted harm to come a person's way, if you have ever met a person and thought yourself superior to them, belittling them, um, even if it's in your own mind, if it's only in your mind, if you have ever spoken condescendingly to a person because you thought yourself superior, then you have broken this commandment. So Jesus is saying, the kind of love that I have is for the person. I, I want them restored. I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see uh, uh, life uh, consequences come to them. And so I'm going to confront them in anger because I love them. The kind of anger Jesus is talking about here is altogether different. He's saying, have you ever looked at a person? Have you ever had a conversation with a person? Have you ever thought of another person um, as inferior to you? Even if it's only in your mind. Have you ever had a, a confrontation with a person and your desire was to see ill or, or harm come to them? Anybody still doing all right? We can go to thou shalt not lie if we need to, but everybody doing all right? I don't know about you, but I studied this all week long and yesterday I found myself believing this lie. Have you ever thought yourself superior to another human being created in the image of God? Jesus says, if you have, then you have not measured up to just this one example, this one commandment. Jesus says, there's a standard that must be set, or that is set by God. There's a standard that you and I are measured up to. That's point number two. You and I will never do it. We'll never measure up. Look at verse 18. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So he says, I'm not even taking a word out of it. I'm not taking punctuation out of the Old Testament, out of the law. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does teach them and teaches uh, them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' listeners would have been shocked at this statement. The scribes and the Pharisees were the, the most upstanding uh, citizens in their culture. They, if anybody had it all together, if anybody was willing to, to jump through the hoops, was willing to play ball, was willing to throw the CDs into the fire, was willing to stand up, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew the Old Testament backwards, forwards, and upside down. They were upstanding in every um, uh, uh, way from uh, another person's perspective, from another person's point of view. They had it all together. They, they did everything right. 
on the outside. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds even the scribes and the Pharisees. In our culture, that would, that would be like Jesus saying, unless your um, uh, righteousness exceeds the Amish, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They would have been flabbergasted. Jesus, how is that even possible? I mean, what do they not do right, Jesus? And Jesus would have followed it up by saying, in, in other places in the scriptures he does, um, um, you just see the outside, but God is looking at the heart. You see them just jumping through this, these hoops because they think God will be pleased with them. But I don't, God doesn't care just about the outward um, actions. He cares about the heart. He cares about the motivation. He cares about what's going on inside of people. You're never going to measure up. But Jesus, thankfully, never ends or doesn't end there. Look at verse 17. He says, but in me, you can. I have measured up, and in me, you can too. Look at verse 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. In the, in the New Testament, when those two words are put together, the law and the prophets, it's talking about the Old Testament. And he says, I haven't come to abolish them. That's the standard that you're judged by. Here's what the standard looks like on a, on a, on a, 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 more, a more macro scale. Um, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. There are 365 are negative. That, I don't mean that by bad, bad commands, but it means I, thou shalt not. Don't do this. There are 248 positive ones, as in do this. So there are 613 commands of do not do, or and in place of that, do this. Don't do this. Do this. 613 of those commands. Sit down for just a second and try to figure out how many commands are in your house, how many rules are in your house. I was thinking about this this week. There are 10 rules in, 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 in the Smith house. That's it. Like standing rules. I'm not talking about one-off rules like don't spit in your brother's cup like that happened this week. That's not a standing rule in the Smith house. That's not a standing rule. There are, but, but you know, there's one-offs. We all have those. But think about in your house how many standing rules there are in your house. There are about 10 in, in the Smith house. That's all I could come up with. In the Old Testament, the standard by which we are, are measured, there are 613 commands. And Jesus says, I did not come to abolish those. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that is the good news. Here's what I mean. How do you fulfill a law? There's two ways. When you pull out of here in just a few minutes, when you pull out of, uh, out of the church, you're going to turn left or right. And either way you go, you're going to come to a stop sign. What is the, what, how do you fulfill the law of the stop sign? There's two ways. Number one, most of us are going to fulfill it by, by, um, by keeping the law. We're going to come to the stop sign. We're going to stop. We're going to look both ways. And then we're going to proceed when there's an opening. That's, that's one way to fulfill the law. You, you, you keep, you, you measure up to the law. You keep it. You, you, you uh, do what the law demands. And that's, that's uh, one way to fulfill or to measure up to the law. There's another way to measure up to the law, though, to fulfill the law of the stop sign. Some of us may uh, come up to the stop sign. Instead of hitting the brake, we hit the gas. You see there's a little opening. We're going to take advantage of it. 
And so we fly through the stop sign. If there's a police officer there, he comes up behind you, he turns on his lights, and he pulls you over. He gives you a ticket. And that gives you the opportunity to fulfill the law of the stop sign a different way. <laughs> You've done it before. <laughs> you can pay the penalty of the law. When you, when you take the ticket and you write the check and you mail it in to the, to, uh, to the city or to the, the uh, courthouse, when you do so, you fulfill the law of the stop sign. The law of the stop sign no longer has a bearing on you anymore. It doesn't, have, it doesn't have sway over you anymore. Why? Because you fulfilled the law of the stop sign when you paid the penalty for breaking the law. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law twice. His life was perfect. In every way. He came to the stop sign and he stopped. He fulfilled the law of the Old Testament perfectly. He no sin, not one time. He, he came to the stop sign and he stopped. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And then he, he um, fulfilled the law a second time. By paying the penalty that was due you and me for not keeping the law. The Bible says there's no forgiveness of sin except for the shedding of blood. So when Jesus stretched out his arms and his blood flowed, he paid the penalty of the law a second time. And he did it in obedience to the Father most of all, but he did it out of love for you and I as well. The message of the Bible is, whoever is found in Christ is granted the perfection that Jesus lived. <coughs> Jesus sees you, uh, excuse me, the Father sees you as perfect. because Not because of your actions, not because you jumped through the hoops, not because you were on this merry-go-round of trying to make God measure up, or trying to measure up so God would love you. No, no, no. He, you are granted perfection because you are found in Christ. You are found in Jesus. His perfection is granted to you. Your sin was given to Jesus and done away with on the cross. Um, uh, crucified once and for all. Nailed to the tree. And it has no bearing on you any longer as far as your relationship with God is concerned. I'm not saying there are consequences for sin. Please don't misunderstand. But you're seen from God's perspective. As perfect because his son's perfection was granted to you. That message is the message of the Bible, and it is altogether different. Then do these things, and God will be pleased. Jump through these hoops, and God will be appeased. Jump through these hoops, and you are a better Christian than those who don't. That message is altogether different. This morning, if you know Christ, would you live like that? Would you live like that? I mean, would you believe that in the core of your being, in the depths of your heart? Would you believe that truth that, you're, uh, that, that, that you are seen as perfect in the eyes of God because Christ's per per perfection has been granted to you, has been given to you? 
When you believe that truth, life is altogether different. You love people that are unlovable. You help people who seem unwilling to receive help. Not because you want God to be pleased with you, but because you have already been found in Christ. If you don't know Christ this morning, are you measuring up? The Bible says you can't. It is only when you, by faith, ask Christ to come in to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior. That perfection, measuring up, is granted to you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for the message of your word. The good news of the gospel that we have been found, we who are found in Christ have a right standing with you. The God of the universe. Father, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know Christ, I pray they wouldn't leave here without nailing that down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Christ this morning, and you're going, okay, I need some more, I need some more questions answered. I need to find out a little bit more about what, what Scott's talking about. Uh, Phil is going to be up here, and I'll, and I'll be out there. I'll be on this side. Phil will be on this side, I'll be on this side. And then Aaron will be in the back. Aaron is who, who's going to do our announcements. If you'll find one of us, it would give us the greatest privilege to share with you a little bit more about what it means to be found in Christ. That's a weird thing. We don't talk about it like that. But how great Christ's perfection can be granted to you. We would love to share a little bit more about that with you. Please don't leave this room. Please don't leave this building this morning without nailing that down, without knowing for sure. sure. We have greatest privilege to share. If you do know Christ, live like it. Just live like it. The world will take notice and will want what you have. Amazing grace.